Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This conversation first aired in January of 2020. They're fun, they're friendly, they're super high energy, and they have a unique ability to get a crowd revved up. I'm talking about college mascots. This hour, we'll find out the history behind Psy at Iowa State, Herky at the University of Iowa, and the Panthers TC and TK at the University of Northern Iowa. We'll also find out about Drake University's live mascot program, and later on, we'll meet some of the people who have brought these mascots to life. My first guest today is Doug Biggs. He's a professor of history at the University of Nebraska, but he grew up in Ames, and he knows a whole lot about how these mascots came to be. Hello, Doug. Hi, Jenny. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And we are going to start in Ames. First, let's talk about how the Cyclones became the Cyclones. The myth is in 1895, the Cyclones went to or Evanston to play Northwestern in Chicago, and they beat them 36 to nothing. And the newspaper, the Chicago Tribune, the next day had a headline that Iowa State team, you know, went through Northwestern like a cyclone. And so that's where that that name originates. Although, in my research, I've actually found that the players themselves, earlier in that September month of 1895, before they went to Chicago, were calling themselves cyclones. So I'm not quite sure if it's just the newspaper that might have picked that up, but certainly the Ames newspapers are reporting earlier in that September 1895 period that the players were calling themselves Cyclones. But, of course, being the Cyclones, once that became the case, that doesn't lend itself very well to a mascot, although you grew up in Ames, Iowa, so you were probably a little Cyclone, and they really have a, a Cyclone as their mascot. But where, yeah. where did the Cardinal come from? Well, the Cardinal comes in the 1950s because, as you know, you just said, it's very difficult to get a weather system to show up at your stadium and uh, especially a destructive one and, you know, be fun and, and get people, you know, excited about football or basketball or anything else. So they had um, a contest in 1954 to kind of come up with the idea of a mascot and then name it. And so they came up with Cardinal because, of course, the team colors are Cardinal and Gold. So that's where you get the bird. And then they had a contest to name the bird, and it was named Psy. Seventeen people actually signed in or wrote in to the, to the paper to, you know, with the name Psy. This is my, my idea. And the first one that did it was a woman named Wilma Olson from Ames. And for winning the contest, she got a cardinal and gold stadium blanket, <laughs> which I thought was kind of fun. Nice. So, you know, I mean, the, the only other option they had was gold. You know, because the Cardinal and Gold, and that's way too close to Iowa City. So they had to go with the Cardinal. Well, and Psy does seem like the the natural choice uh, for the name, although Psy had been used as a name for kind of an unofficial mascot before, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. In the early 30s, there had been an unofficial Iowa State mascot who was a huge, about 180 to 200 pound, Great Dane dog. 
obviously a local dog owned by uh, a local woman, and they put a blanket over him, at Cardinal and Goldwyn, obviously, and then you know he walked around the stadium, and he was called Cy, but he died in 1933, and the next Cy you get is in the 1950s. All right. And did he become that big red cardinal that we all recognize and love so much? Yes, because they needed to figure out how to build a suit for him. One of the local manufacturing centers, the collegiate manufacturing, which is you know now long past, but the guy who made it up built an aluminum frame with you know a bunch of fabric around it. And the thing was eight feet tall. It was really heavy. And that remained the sigh until the mid-1990s when, you know, the university, because there were women that were also being sigh, and even the guys who were being sigh didn't want to wander around in this big, huge, heavy costume forever. And so they went with the smaller costume that we have today. Right. Well, and I remember that period in time when they were both out there, where we'd have the sort of yeah. big, clunky sigh strutting around, and then the, the lighter, much more comfortable sigh could hug people and give high yeah. fives and do flips yeah. and all the yeah. things that, that now we expect mascots to be able to do. And if I remember right, I mean, Psy was the big one, and then Clone was the little oh, one. Oh, yeah. Is, is that right? I, and think, then, course, I think you're right, the, but I've, I've rewritten history yeah. in my mind. Yeah, it was all, it was all fun. All it good, was. You know, fun at Hilton in those days, so magic, yeah. <laughs> all right, so that's how Psy the Cardinal came to be. Let's talk about Herky the Hawk. So, again, let's start with the Hawkeyes. I mean, we are the Hawkeye State. Right. And uh, we think that that came from James Fenimore Cooper's novel, The Last of the Mohicans. So how, how did the Hawkeyes at the University of Iowa become the Hawkeyes? Herky the Hawk, like Cyclone Psy, he has his origins in the, well, late 40s, but as the costumed figure in the 50s. Before that, the, the very first Hawkeye mascot that we know of was actually a bear that someone had given as a cub, and it was named Birch, Birch the Bear, after Birch's cavern. It was one of the favorite hangouts for students and everybody else at the time. So this was a a live bear. This was live, yeah, a little black. I mean, not a big, huge grizzly, you know. (laughs) It's not like somebody eating your opponents on the football, although that might have been a good idea. It was just a, a little black bear. And he lasted from about 1905-1906 until his death in 1910. The next mascot that I know of comes in 1929 in Iowa City. And that is actually a big Great Dane dog. So the Great Dane in Iowa City precedes or predates the Iowa State Great Dane by about a year. And so you kind of wonder if the Iowa State folks picked up on the you know, dog idea from Iowa. Sounds like a bit of a copycat situation. Yeah, well, you know, big brother, little brother kind of thing, you know. And so he was named Rex. The Iowa dog was named Rex. And he had, believe it or not, a black and gold blanket (laughs) put over him (laughs) instead of a cardinal and gold one. And he was at football games all the way into his death in 1933, and then there was another dog that they picked up, probably a Great Dane, although some sources say a large St. Bernard, which they named Rex too, and he lasted into the 40s. And then in the 40s, what you get is uh, Herky the Hawk was first drawn 
as you know a picture in the student newspaper and so that the idea of that mascot begins to stick and then the first herky we see in a costume comes in the late 1950s so herky i mean the original the person who drew that hawk in the school Mm -hmm. newspaper dubbed it herky that's where the name came from Yep, as far as, yeah, from the things I know, that's what that's where they got it. You know, like a lot of these mascots, the dog in Ames, the dog in Iowa City, and then Herky, these were run, I don't say run, but these were kind of taken care of by fraternities. But with Herky, it was Delta Todd Delta who made the first, uh, or appeared, uh, a, a brother appeared in the first costume, and he passed that down to other members of his fraternity. And that stayed in Delta Tau Delta until they lost their charter in Iowa City in 1998. Wow. And now it's an open competition for both men and you know, young men and young women to be in the costume. So it was only so, those fraternity brothers for decades. Yeah, from 54 to 98 when we lost our charter. All right. Well, and we talked about the, the big, not very flexible sigh that many of us remember from our childhoods. And then now the, the much more lovable, movable sigh. Did, <laughs> did Herky go through any kind of a evolution like that? Yeah, he does. But not as he's, he does not appear, as far as I know, is, uh, initially as a big, bulky mascot. He's much more flexible and lovable. The helmet from everything that I've read, has morphed and changed over time, from being, you know, larger and clunkier to being the way it is now. Because, you know, college mascots are huge business. And, you know, they do all these, what is it, vote for your favorite mascot of the year every year for, you know, all this fun stuff. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. This hour, we're talking about college mascots and helping us learn our history is Doug Biggs. He's a professor of history at the University of Nebraska, but he grew up in Ames, Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio. This is an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. You're listening to an archive episode of Talk of Iowa. This conversation first aired in January of 2020. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about college mascots. Right now, we're digging into the history of the Regents University mascots. So we've talked about Cy the Cardinal, and we've talked about Herky the Hawk. My guest is Doug Biggs. He's a professor of history at the University of Nebraska, although he grew up in Ames, Iowa. And Doug, that brings us to the University of Northern Iowa. The Panthers have a pretty interesting history. Yes, they do, because, you know, they were this teacher's college. They were the normal school. That was where they were founded. And they did partake in intercollegiate athletics almost from the turn of the century, but they never had a team name or a mascot. And so, you know, as the student newspaper in 1931 wrote, who wants to be known as the pedagogues 
<laughs> or, you know, it's like, that, that's going to strike fear in the heart of your opponent. Right. You know? Or like the teacher. So I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work. So in September of 1931, they had a naming contest. And at the end of the month, they decided that the team name and then eventually the mascot would be the Purple Panthers. And so ever since September of 1920 or 1931, excuse me, they've been, you know, the Purple Panthers. And their initial mascot, from what I know, it was a chow dog who was a, a big one who was, believe it or not, dressed in a purple and gold blanket. <laughs> and so he would go around to the games. Uh, you know, he was like their their good luck charm. Right. And very, first, very actually, original. I guess all three of the state universities were doing that. Yeah. And oh, I know none of their websites and their histories claim they copied each other, but <laughs> no. I'm sure they all did. <laughs> <laughs> but the first Panther in a costume that we know of appears in 1957. And the pictures of it are, well, you know, unless someone told you it was a panther, you probably would need a couple of minutes to think about what it was. It wasn't a real great costume. So and pretty, pretty homemade, huh? Yeah, it was very homemade, and it was not. It was not friendly to the elements. So he was only an indoor mascot. Because if he would have been outside in a football game in nasty weather, it wouldn't have been really good for the poor mascot. Well, maybe that's um, why they built the Unidome, so that we could have all yeah, the games maybe. indoors. <laughs> that would be a good idea. So I, well, maybe. But, <laughs> but his initial name in the 50s was Peppy the Panther, because he was you know, part of the band and the cheer squad to pep everybody up. And in 1960, he became so popular, the Panther became so popular, that they gave the Panther an all-weather costume. And he could be both indoors and outdoors. And in the 90s, he became TC, which stands for the cat. And then in 2010, TC was joined by what you and I claims is his sister, TK, the kitten. You sound okay. skeptical. You don't think she's his sister? Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> It's a person in a costume, you know, cherry, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, whatever. You know. I, I was just, uh, you sounded like maybe you, you didn't think they were telling the true story. But okay. Oh, it just seems like such a strange thing to have to try to create, you know. But So they uh, have yeah, two mascots now, TC yep, and TK. Yep. Right. They have a male mascot and a female mascot. All right. And I seem to remember in the 1980s, because I grew up in Cedar Falls, that there, mm-hmm. was, a, there was a Pink Panther thing going on. Yes. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. As far as I know, and from what I've read, that was kind of unofficial. Okay. And again, the costume looks pretty homemade. I mean, I, there's, there's people I'm sure that know more about the Pink Panther than I do, but the pictures I've seen of him are he's crowd surfing during a basketball game or a football game, and the costume looks pretty homemade. So, <laughs> All right. Know. Well, TC I mean, and me, TK but, look you know. very professional, and they are certainly well, they are. incredibly popular. Why do you think mascots like this are so special because people do really become attached to them. The idea of a mascot that originates in the U.S. in the late 19th century, it was a good luck charm. And in baseball, which is where these things apparently kind of have their genesis in the American sports consciousness, they were originally like bat boys or they were young children of players. But They were so popular with the teams, and then the mascots became so popular 
with the whole color and the whole pageantry of college sports. They're kind of in a way like a Santa Claus, because everybody loves Santa. And, you know, I mean, well, maybe if you're a very, very small child and your children cry when they see him or whatever. But, you know, when they get old enough to figure out who he is, everybody loves Santa. Well, and then that's the way I live in Iowa City now. Herky is everywhere and children run up and they give him high fives and they give him hugs and everybody's had their picture taken with Herky, even me, even though I'm a cyclone. (laughs) <laughs> no, I yeah, I yeah, I know. I mean, I've had my picture taken with Cy, you know, a number of times because he is the same way. You know, he's everywhere. He's at Iowa State events. He's at city events. He's at private events. He's all over the place. So he's sort and, of the personification you know, of our love for the team. I think so. And also, I think they've become even an ambassador or a group of ambassadors for the university that they represent because they're actually in alumni events. They're in fundraising events. I think these are all just ways to remind all of us when we are at these events, either sporting or otherwise, of our connection to our alma mater. They're certainly close to our hearts. Doug Biggs, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much for having me. Doug Biggs is a professor of history at the University of Nebraska at Kearney. He grew up in Ames, clearly a cyclone through and through. There's another very high-profile mascot in Iowa, Spike the Bulldog at Drake University. Originally, they were called the Drakes, but they became the Bulldogs when a Des Moines Register sports editor noticed that coach John L. Griffith brought his Bulldogs with him to practice. So he dubbed the Drake teams the Bulldogs. And according to an article in the Des Moines Register back in 2015, Spike got his name in 1957. Before that, the Bulldog was known as Butch. But these days, Spike, although very popular, lives in the shadow of a very popular and charismatic live mascot of Bulldog named Griff. Griff is in our studio right now, along with Aaron Bell, who is the live mascot program director and associate director of marketing at Drake. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. And hello, Griff. He says hello. He's right. sleeping right now. <laughs> I trust you. I had, a, I had a nice conversation in person with Griff about a year ago, and I didn't record that for posterity, but <laughs> it's in my heart. But Aaron, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. You started interacting with Drake University and Bulldogs way back in 2009 because your dog, Porterhouse, won the annual Drake Relays Beautiful Bulldog Contest. Tell me what happened that year. Yeah, so it was Porterhouse's fourth attempt at winning the crown, uh, which is has historically been just a week-long kind of reign over the Drake Relays, just kind of an honor for a bulldog that's selected in the contest. And then the dog usually returns to normal life. To obscurity. Um, Yes. But in Porterhouse's case, for a number of different reasons, he was uniquely embraced by the community uh, at Drake. The students absolutely loved him. And so his... His reign lasted long after that week of Drake Relays. The students and administrators at Drake just continued to invite us and Porterhouse to different events. And my husband and I just kept saying yes. We kind of did it in our spare time before we had kids of our own. And it just kind of snowballed, has become a full-time job for me now. So how did your job with the university come around, uh, about? I mean, when did they offer you this unique position? My husband and I, like I said, did this with Porterhouse, and we did it for five years until he passed away at the end of 2013 unexpectedly. There was a huge void left by Porterhouse's passing. 
I think a lot of people just realized what he added to the community and um, they wanted to do that more formally. So there was talk at Drake and they were working internally to get a program set up uh, and they actually approached me and and uh, asked if I would actually work for Drake and do this as my job. Wow, and you were a registered nurse at the time? Yes, I am still a registered nurse, always be a nurse, but right now I am doing the live mascot thing. <laughs> so I, I have to say, just in case anybody out there is thinking of it, it's my dream to have someone say, I will pay you to spend time with your dogs. I know, right? <laughs> how did I how so did, did I get here? <laughs> did you even have to think about it? You know, yeah, there was there was a lot of thought that went into it. Um, and it actually started out as a part-time job. So for about four years, I did part-time nursing and part-time live mascot wrangling. And then just about almost a year ago, it turned into a full-time job. Now, when they approached you, you had lost Porterhouse, which I'm sure was really difficult. Did you already have another bulldog? No, we did have another bulldog, but definitely not the bulldog that could serve as the mascot. Not everyone (laughs) can do this work. Right. Wonderful dog, just would be a terrible mascot. So it definitely takes a very unique kind of dog. Uh, Temperament is everything. And so my first task when I was hired was to find the next mascot, which is Griff. How did you find him? Through a lot of contacts through the Bulldog community and this wonderful woman in Newton. I had called her just to talk about, you know, to get some advice from her on different things as I was trying to identify the next Bulldog. And she actually told me in that conversation that she thought she had the perfect dog. And she gave him to me for this for this job. And he has just been absolutely exceptional. Well, and like I'm, I, I got the opportunity to meet Griff and he's a really special dog. But yeah. describe him for people who haven't gotten to meet him. Oh, he is the most laid back creature. Uh, nothing flusters him. Nothing upsets him. He is loving. He loves to be loved. Extremely social, very patient. I can trust him 100% when we're out in public, and he has never failed. What is his day-to-day job like? It's a variety of appearances. There's a lot of appearances, and then there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that goes into it as well. All that social media stuff, that, that is my job, and it is very time-consuming and takes a lot of, a lot of work. Um, and then we're using him in a lot of marketing, and with admissions, we leverage him in admissions work. Sure, I'm sure um, he does a lot of very effective recruiting. Yes, yes, he's they use him very much in admissions and which is critical to the university. So that we focus a lot on that. We do a lot with alumni relations and then just students. My one of my priorities is to make him available and accessible and approachable by anybody and everybody. He is everybody's dog and I just do my best to get him out there and share him with the world. Now Griff also does a pet food drive. Yes. Every year. So he he has other responsibilities as well. Yeah, it's kind of his annual big um, effort to help the less fortunate uh, in our community. Griff really embodies just what Drake stands for and what our students stand for. So really, it's our annual way to give back to the community. And he, he collects pet food for the Pet Project Midwest. It's called Griff Gives Back is what the campaign is called, and we do that every spring. All right, so he has collected over 16 tons of pet food over the past four years, and you haven't yes. let him eat all of that, which 
probably a little bit to his chagrin. That's one of yes. Maybe maybe his weakness is for food. Oh yes, he is a very hungry dog all the time. <laughs> now, you sort of got plunged into this strange world of live mascots. It used to be a very popular thing. Not as many universities do it now. Yeah. But you actually went to. A live mascot conference last year? I did. The first ever live mascot conference was held in Boulder, Colorado at the University of Colorado. It was it was so great to connect with people that are out there doing the exact same thing that I am for Drake University and just, you know, sharing stories, sharing difficulties and how you overcome those and getting advice, uh, giving advice. Uh, it was just a really great experience. So uh, other schools don't have mascots that are quite as easy to replicate in real life as the bulldogs. Right. Uh, did that just make you feel really lucky? That, I that did. Yeah. Yeah. There were several other bulldog schools um, at the conference, so they were very relatable. And then there were tigers. There were several tiger schools, um, you know, the Colorado Buffaloes, Texas Longhorns. Those were they were all at the conference. And it was I was really thankful for the fact that the, that Drake is the Bulldogs. Yeah. How old is Griff now? Uh, he is seven. And uh, in the future, the idea is that there will be more Bulldogs named Griff? Yes. Uh, hopefully hopefully this, far in the future? Yes. Hopefully this program never goes away. Um, and they will all be Griff going forward. It'll be Griff 2, Griff 3, Griff 4, and so on. All right. Well, Aaron Bell, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you very much. Aaron Bell is the live mascot program director at Drake University. Obviously, Griff the Bulldog does the heavy lifting in this role. This is an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This episode was recorded in January of 2020. And Griff the Drake Bulldog is now retired, but Griff, too, is doing an excellent job filling his very big shoes. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This conversation first aired in January of 2020. Herky at the University of Iowa, Cy at Iowa State University, and TC and TK at the University of Northern Iowa are fan favorites, and they are in demand. Just like we just heard about Griff, they have a lot of requests for their time. Of course, they're at games, they're at pep rallies, they have full calendars of appearances at elementary schools, road races, alumni events, and all sorts of other things. The person inside the mascot suit is always a student at the university. So how can one student be in so many places and still be a successful student? The secret is that many students take their turns inside the suits, and secrecy is a really big part of it. So we've decided to uh, look behind the giant head this hour. <laughs> Colby Campbell is here with us. He was TC, the Panther at the University of Northern Iowa from 2012 to 2015. He now lives in Chicago. Hello, Colby. Hey, Charity. How are we doing today? Great. Thank you so much for being here. We've also got a Herky the Hawk. Javi Perez was a Herky from 2011 to 2015. He now lives in Chicago as well. Javi, hello. Hi, Charity. How you doing? Great. Thank you for being here. And of course, we have to have a Cy as well. Lori Beckman was Cy from 1997 to 1999. She now lives in Waterloo. Hello, Lori. Hi, everybody. Oh, thank you all so much for being here. And Colby, we're going to start with the Panthers. Tell me how you became TC. 
My gosh. Well, I tell you what, um, it was sort of born for me when I started to get super duper involved as a student. I felt the as though I was the energy of the university sometimes, or I felt the energy of the university in me while I'd be promoting for admissions or for orientation uh, or for residence life at UNI. And I saw the advertisements for tryouts to be the mascot, to literally embody that energy. And I was like, that seems like the perfect next step for me to try to get closer with the university. And so, yeah, there was a whole trial process. I ended up being selected to uh, be on the team. Um, and it was one of the most exciting days of college, I think. What did you have to do at the tryout? Uh, good question. So there was an interview portion where, you know, I don't exactly remember the, the questions, but, you know, leadership type things, they played a mix and they're in a big empty gym across a table from three, uh, three interviewers had me dance as wild and as crazy as I could um, and try to sort Without of... Without um, the costume on, just as yourself. Yeah, just you and me in gym shorts uh, <laughs> and you can see my face and everything. Um, and I think that that made, uh, once we had the suit on, that made that a little bit easier. Sure. So you mentioned you got to join the team and I know there's a lot of secrecy involved, but about how many people were on that team? We had anywhere between 10 to 12 folks on the team who would play TC, who would play TK. We had some folks who were able to kind of portray both characters and kind of switch up the mannerisms. You know, we would do our best to kind of shuffle around those 10 or 12 people to meet the demands. We were doing up to four or five events a week between athletic events, birthday parties, weddings, and all that kind of stuff, you know, on-campus recruiting events, just to kind of keep up with all of that kind of stuff. Well, and how did you divvy up all of those events? I can imagine some were a lot more desirable than others. Yeah, for sure. Um, everybody wanted the football games. Everybody wanted the basketball games. To get in front of the crowd of tens of thousands of folks was the exciting part of it. So we tried to split it up as evenly as possible. A lot of administrative work went into it by our advisors and our graduate assistants. And we had a big old Google spreadsheet that we kept track of it all on. Wow. Well, Javi, uh, tell us how you became Herky the Hawk, because that was not originally part of your plan. Yeah. So when I got to Iowa, my original intention was to try and walk on for the baseball team. So back then, Iowa athletics wasn't the best. So they had walk on uh, baseball and basketball tryouts. So I was gearing up for that. But then my arm was pretty injured by the time the tryouts came around. So I lived in the dorm room in my room and uh, my floor mates were on the football team, swimmers, golfers, tennis players. And I was like, man, I, I wish I could do something so I could be around them more and hang out. And uh, my RA was a cheerleader at the time. So he said, show up to cheerleading tryout. Um, You're pretty athletic, so maybe you can just work into it. I showed up. It wasn't really my thing. And I was like, ah, I appreciate it, but this isn't really it for me. And he goes, I know one more thing. Uh, I have a friend. He'll talk to you. And I was told to show up to Carver Hawkeye Arena Tuesday at 7 o'clock at night, not really knowing what to expect. And uh, it just happened to be Herky tryouts. (laughs) So you didn't even know you were trying out for Herky? I had a feeling that that's what it was, but they were very secretive about it. So they they were saying it was like a, a performance type thing. So um, I showed up, was kind of just nervous for it, not really sure what to expect going in. So what was that tryout like? It was a mix of improv comedy and athletic ability. It was about a week long worth of tryouts. And then the last day of tryouts was like a final day. So they put all of us in, in the Herky costume and... Uh, People invited their family and friends. I think there was about 300 people there, two, 300 people in a gym. I was super nervous. I didn't tell my family or friends that I was even trying out. No one showed up to support me. So 
but I ended up getting it. Wow. And in a moment, we're going to talk with Lori Beckman, who uh, was Psy when she was in college. Uh, Javi, you actually know the first female Herky? Yeah. So I was actually doing an event in Chicago. It was for the Chicago White Sox. Her name was uh, Carrie McDonald, Iowa, Carrie Norwood now since she was married. And uh, she invited me to do an event in Chicago because she heard I was from Chicago. I showed up and then she actually ended up hiring me uh, for the White Sox to work with her. Oh, wow. Do you know when she was Herky? I believe it was the early 2000s. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, Lori, you were Psy from 1997 to 1999. So tell me what uh, you had to do to become Psy. Well, it, uh, it was uh, very similar to the other two. I do remember there was a panel of judges, and I think they were more like um, athletic personnel, probably. And we actually had to get in the suit. I never had to uh, dance around by myself. If I had to, I probably wouldn't have made the team. <laughs> so we got in the suit, and I don't remember what I did for my first year. I was on that for the second year. I, I do remember what I did for my tryout. I basically put a skit together, and I actually had a stuffed little sigh that had gotten kidnapped, and I had used the Mission Impossible music and gone back through time using different uh, genres of music and. When that came on, that would be what era I was in looking for Psy, my little Psy. And at the end, uh, when the Mission Possible theme music kind of ends, that's when I find him. That was my tryout. So, yeah, I was just maneuvering in the suit and getting used to it, getting used to the feel of it. Well, a little while ago when I was talking to Doug Biggs, we talked about the the transformation that Psy went through because Psy was a a big clunky cardinal for a long time. And then (laughs) Psy that we know today is, you know, very flexible and and it looks like a much more comfortable suit. What Psy were you? I was somewhere in between, for sure. We had underneath it, we had a couple layers. We had obviously the layer that you see with the red, red fur and red feathers. And then we had underneath a big black call it a vest-like thing to give him a little puff, you know, to it. And then we had some the feet were the were boots. So it was it was hard, a little difficult to walk in, not terribly, but definitely not a cage around me. I would uh, would love to see what the suit is made of uh, today. So, well, he can do a lot more than I was able to do when I was in the suit. Yeah. So. Do you have a, a favorite memory from being Psy? Oh, gosh, there's so many. It was the two best years. Probably when March Madness was my favorite time when we were down in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. It just, there was so much energy. And, you know, you're right there on the floor, right next to where they're throwing the ball in, you know, to pass. And, you know, we couldn't move very much for those during tournament time. But, man, you were right there in the action. And we were, you know, right behind was the band. Usually that's where they put the band to the floor. So it was just the tournament time. And you wanted your team to go as far as it could through the, you know, through the bracket. And, and so that was that was the most fun I ever had. So, how did you keep your identity a secret? Because just like TC and Herky, all of this is supposed to be super secret. Did you were you successful in not letting <laughs> your closest friends know that you were Psy? <laughs> Unlike the other two, I was not successful because I was so excited that I was on the team. And granted, at a game time, I would walk up to other students if they were there. They you know they'd yell into the beak. You know, is this? is this Lori? And obviously I, I couldn't, you can't talk. I mean, there is no voice to these mascots. So no, I, I never let on, but I think maybe towards my second year, they might've picked up on some of my mannerisms or the way I walked versus someone else. Not to mention we had different heights on, on the members <laughs> of our squad. So I'm sure at one point I was just a tad taller than maybe somebody else. So I, 
I was not as successful as maybe the other two right. were. Yeah, Colby, were you able to keep it a secret? STC? I let my parents in on the secret, my sister in on the secret, and that was about it. Some some of the most ridiculous uh, memories that I have from college and from this program, honestly, are uh, like sneaking out of the house and trying to not like let my roommates know that I was leaving. Um, and they totally like started to pick up on like, Colby's leaving in sweatpants and with a gym bag. And there's a university vehicle picking up and picking me up in the driveway. But it was always trying to keep keep that secret from literally anybody. And, you know, uh, tournament time always is challenging as well because we travel with the spirit squads, with the pep band. And you got to have an excuse. You got to have a story ready that is going to please everybody as to why you're there so that you don't give yourself away. So what was your story? Like you'd get on the bus and people would be, what are you here for? (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, the challenge was that I was also in the pet band and a different pet band. And so um, all of those folks knew me and knew that I didn't have a reason to be there other than pet band. Uh, And so my excuse, because I also do some photography, my excuse in that situation was always like, oh, I'm here to you know, shoot photos for the university. Um, you know, I had my camera with me and out all the time. I always would go straight from uh, being in suit at a pep rally and jump right back into khakis and a polo. Um, and I'm still like sweating through uh, like my khakis and my polo trying to get back on this bus all discreet. Uh, and I, you know, nobody ever really figured it out. Um, and I'm sure that there were plenty of signs. Maybe if they did, they just were kind enough to not ask me about it. <laughs> All right. We only have about three minutes left. Javi, tell me about uh, secrecy for you. Was that a real challenge in your life? Yeah, it was. I Again, I was really excited when I got it. I just wanted to tell everyone. But secrecy kind of got out sometimes with my roommates. Uh, they would be really excited and just tell people or at games like, oh, that's my roommate or something. But for the most part, I tried not to tell people and just uh, avoid avoid as much as possible. A lot of A lot of back rooms and secret exits to get out so I could avoid crowds. What is your favorite memory of being Herky, Javi? The two that stand out to me the most, I think, would be my first dance marathon. Um, Being in Iowa City, I'm sure you see how big dance marathon is to the university and to the state. I remember I didn't know what to expect my first dance marathon. I was really excited, went really hard. I actually almost passed out. It's a long time, 24 hours. And uh, just seeing the kids and the families light up was uh, pretty amazing. And then my, I think the other memory that stood out to me was our fourth place finish at Mascot National Championships. So we were on ESPN. We went down to Orlando and Disney World. And Kirky uh, never placed higher than seventh. And uh, and that year, we just put a lot of effort and time into it. We worked really hard for months, and we ended up getting fourth. And I'm just learning right now that mascots have a national championship. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> what What do you do to compete? Um, we have to create uh, about a two-minute skit, and it just shows the character of uh, your mascot. So we create massive props. Uh, we bring them down to Florida, make our own music and everything, and we do it in front of the top cheerleading dancers, judges in the nation. All right, so I've asked you all about a highlight, and we've got a minute left. Lori, what was the hardest part of being a mascot? The heat during the football season when it was warm, you would get a little, I, I, there were times where I got overheated a little bit. So that was challenging for sure. All right. How about you, Colby? What was the hardest part for you? Um, that definitely resonates with me as well. I think the hardest part for me was not letting the character of TC bleed into my normal life. And so it's very like natural for uh, you to keep that, that walk going and keep the big, um, uh, gestures going when you're in front of a group of people. Um, and so I think the hardest part for me was like toning it down when I was not in suit. So he was taking you over. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Javi, what about you? What was the hardest part? Uh, I think it was pretty similar to both. So um, we were talking about Herky changing suits. I was that mascot that did the changeover from the old suit to the new suit. And the new suit's 10 times hotter. So I guess adjusting to that was pretty tough. And also, um, like Colby said, turning that switch on and off to not let it bleed into your regular personality. I would walk to class like I was perky, and I was like, I need to stop that or people are going to figure it out pretty soon. But I think by my end of my junior year, it was a, I was able to flip it on and off. <laughs> Is there a little bit of perky left inside you now? Uh, I've tried to bury it as much as possible. <laughs> now, I'm surprised that none of you said being silent was hard. That seems like that would be really mm. difficult. You're there, everybody's cheering, everybody's exciting, and you, you can never say anything. Was being silent difficult for you guys? Uh, it wasn't for me, was, Charity. But, uh, you just kind of get yeah. used to it. Okay. All right. It would, yeah. That sounds like a challenge to me. Lori Beckman, thank you so much. Thank you Lori so much Be- for having me. Yeah, Lori Beckman was Cy from 1997 to 1999. She now lives in Waterloo. Javi Perez, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Charity. Javi Perez was Herky the Hawk from 2011 to 2015. He now lives in Chicago. And Colby Campbell, thank you so much. Thank you, Charity. Go Panthers. Colby Campbell was TC the Panther at the University of Northern Iowa from 2012 to 2015. He now lives in Chicago as well. This is Talk of Iowa from Iowa Public Radio.